I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Grace Donnelly. Grace is a tech reporter writing for Emerging Tech Brew, which is part of the Morning Brew umbrella. Really fun discussion here, something I do every few months or so talking with someone more from the, the media perspective. And I'm particularly, I really enjoy Emerging Tech Brew and, and the, the parent company, Morning Brew, some of the stuff they come out with. But um, the, and in particular, Grace's writing on Emerging Tech Brew, I, I, I really get a lot out of and I, I appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun talking with her here. So what's interesting to me is, so she, she has a wider, wider umbrella she casts than what we talked about here and what this podcast covers, but certainly a good amount of overlap in this Emerging Tech space and climate-focused tech, tech and decarbonization of the transportation sector. So we spent a good amount of time talking about kind of how she's seeing the industry, how she thinks about choosing which topics to cover, how she comes up with an angle and a specific um, area to dig deep in those topics, and then how she actually goes about that work. And I think super interesting, I, we talk about it here within the podcast, but this uh, this media relationship with technology and regulators and the, the public like this is not a one-way street the, the topics that are covered in the media and the way in which those are covered have a significant impact on the technology that that is actually developed and then implemented and adopted and thus the, the ability for that technology to make the change that we seek so really important from my perspective really great getting grace's opinion so we talked about these these topic, these kind of higher level topics, and we dove a, a little deeper into a few specific things. I'll have some links in the show notes here as, as well if you want to get deep, deeper. She's been doing some great research into some of the underlying challenges for electrification, say, so infrastructure, grid infrastructure, um, supply chain, talking about decarbonization of other applications besides on-road, and uh, yeah, if you if you're other super like battery chemistry is getting deep into that stuff. So I'll leave it here for now. Really fun discussion. Please enjoy this conversation with Grace Donnelly. Today I'm joined by Grace Donnelly. Grace, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. 
yeah, I think this will be fun, fun discussion. So not, uh, it, it, it's a, it's kind of a change up when I have someone in uh, that you're around my business and we're able to talk kind of from a different perspective as opposed to my typical guests who are kind of in the day to day grind of developing and building companies in this uh, safe, sustainable mobility space. So really looking forward to the, the conversation here. With that being said, could you uh, maybe just at high level set the stage and introduce yourself and what you're working on? Yeah, so I uh, cover climate technology for Emerging Tech Brew. Um, which is part of uh, a morning morning brew. Uh, and we are really looking at things from the perspective of, of technologies that need to scale. So obviously, you know, climate tech, plenty of things fit into that category um, in my beat. Um, so yeah, so I'm writing about kind of from a business perspective, you know, how are companies or how is policy supporting, um, you know, rolling out things in the mobility space and also beyond into kind of carbon capture and different kinds of energy technology as well um, to support, you know, meeting our uh, emissions reduction goals and all that kind of stuff uh, in the U.S., mostly in the U.S., but also worldwide. So, yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things that's it's really interesting, I think, about the work you're doing, Emerging Tech Brew overall, and then also you know, following the articles that you're coming out with. So, I guess first emerging tech brew overall. So I, I I have had past people from emerging tech brew. So to Ryan Duffy, who's no longer there, is has been on the podcast a couple of times, and and I think the what what you guys cover is is stayed consistent. Or you know, obviously different changes over time, but like the the feel aligns very much um, when he started it, and then how as it's evolved with how I kind of approach it with this future mobility podcast, and that one kind of the overarching theme of so I what I focus on what I say is safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible mobility, which is a slice of these climate things that you're covering. Mm-hmm. But then also kind of the uh, one thing I've always enjoyed about kind of the writing is how approachable it is and how it's it's trying to bridge this gap between really deep, meaningful, technical content and you know not removing any of the necessary nuance, but also making things as simple as they can be so that we can actually, you know, people who are reading this can actually understand what's going on and, and make decisions based on that. So that's one thing that I've, I've really appreciated about your work and the the newsletter overall. Yeah, glad to hear that. Yeah. So when you mentioned at the beginning, um, scalability is as one of the the driving. Could you could you speak more kind of what uh, how how does that define kind of what you're you're focusing on? Yeah, I think that's one way that we kind of help decide um, what we're going to focus on as a team at Emerging Tech Brew because. You know, like you said, it is kind of this marriage between the, the technical aspects and then sort of the applications and the way this will really impact people's lives or people's businesses. And so we're looking at technology that is kind of beyond that initial research phase. It's not necessarily in a lab, in an academic setting, um, but is not yet widely adopted. It's not yet something you might see on a regular basis. Um, that's kind of our our sweet spot for the technology that we like to write about. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think and it brings up a lot of interesting questions about the way you can fund growth. I think that that's something I hear from from people in climate tech uh, across all different sectors of that industry is that there is kind of this chasm you have to you have to overcome between, you know, proving a technology um, in a demonstration and then reaching deployment or reaching a place where you can manufacture at scale and roll it out that way. So I think digging into some of the ways that that you know, companies can raise funds, or you know, how governments can support some of this um, 
this technology to reach, you know, their stated climate goals has been really interesting so far. Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of the, uh, part of the angle that's so attractive to, to, to me as well. And that, uh, I know it's somewhat unique in the approach, but I also think it's a critical test because like, I mean, yeah, engineering, I'm an engineer by trade. I think a lot of the people here listening are, have engineering backgrounds and uh, we tend to think in terms of technical solutions and, you know, applying science and coming up with these exciting things, which is the starting point. That's, that's a very, it's a necessary task. It's, it's a, it's great, but it really doesn't do anything to move the needle unless you're able to build a sustainable business around that and go through the funding stages and the manufacturing stages and uh, actually take that into, into production. Is that how much of the, the angle that you're taking? So you joined Emerging Tech Brew, Morning Brew a little over a year, year or something, a year and a half ago. Not or even so, a yeah. year ago. Yeah. I started oh. covering uh, this for Emerging Tech Brew in October of last year. Yeah. So how, how much has your angle or your, your view of these topics changed over that time? Yeah, well, I mean, has it changed? Yeah. honestly, I, I, you know, came into this, I have a business journalism background, but I had never covered climate before um, this job. And so I came into this position knowing that I had a lot to learn about the industry and not necessarily knowing what the most pressing stories were going to be um, for, for me personally and my coverage. Um, and I think, like you said, I think that the fact that we take some some time to explain things. It's been really rewarding because I get to learn and then I get to share what I've learned with readers. And, and that's a, a thing that I really enjoy. Um, but I think as I've got farther into it, I think I very quickly realized that even though we're talking about the technology, the the story um, is often, you know, up the supply chain. The story is often more about mining, is more about like, I'm, I'm covering climate technology, I'm covering EVs, I'm covering mobility, but ultimately when I drill down into it, I feel like I'm more of an energy and a mining reporter because <laughs> that's where a lot of the, the issues and the, and the uh, tension is right now. Um, so yeah, I think I think that was something I, I knew would be a piece of it, but has been more of the coverage than maybe I expected when I first started. Um, and I think that also relates to just some of the, the actions we've seen both at like a federal policy level and from from states and from even corporations that are trying to push uh, forward and, and scaling some of these different technologies. Yeah, I think so. So that's, I think the, the supply chain aspect is something that I'm going to want to dig into uh, pr pretty quickly here, but I guess one, one other question on, on this side of kind of how, how you're approaching it. So how, I don't know, digging in, realizing that something like mining and material extraction and processing is, is an important process. Like how much of your process when you're trying to figure out what the cover and angles to take and such, how much of that is gathering kind of uh, an understanding of the public or the, the public interest what, what, um, and kind of what's, what's going on around the world and like the conversations that are being had and how much of it is more of kind of the, the ground up, Hey, I'm diving into EVs. And then I realize from kind of, I don't know, I'm going to say first principle, to, mm -hmm. but like how much of it kind of is your own research from, drilling into problem and kind of the, the investigative side. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think especially initially a lot of the, the story I, ideas come from, you know, yeah, what are people talking about? What are people interested in? What are our readers telling us that they want to know more about? Um, we have a really engaged audience and they often ask questions and follow-ups to stories that we've written. So, so that definitely is a piece of kind of figuring out what to, what to focus on. And then I think 
what I what I feel like my my role really is is to then connect with people who are in the industry, who are analyzing the industry, who are you know thinking about policy around these industries, and have the discussions with them um, to really understand from an inside perspective what's going on, kind of what the what the bottlenecks and pain points might be in mm-hmm. in these technologies actually reaching the public that's interested in them. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it seems like we're spending uh, more time on this kind of uh, thirty thousand foot view than than someone might expect. But if, I mean, personally, I think this is, and I, I'd like your opinion here. But I think this is really important topic because I don't know. May, maybe on the surface, it seems like it's a one way communication street from what's being done, right? Technology and business to media, and the media is covering. But it, in my mind, that's much more of a loop than a one way communication street, right? So, like the topics that are covered in the media and the way they are covered are informing sometimes directly the people who are running these businesses, mm-hmm. sometimes the policymakers, sometimes the, the decision or the people who are making purchasing decisions. And there's this feedback loop in place. So like the the decisions that you you are making of how are you covering this and what what like it it's part of this whole ecosystem. It's part of what's driving us towards this more sustainable future. How, how do you think about that dynamic? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean I think, you know, I I feel like we do have a lot of responsibility as journalists to be um, thoughtful and, and, you know, ethical and rigorous in what we decide to look into and what we decide to present to the public, because sometimes it's, you know, sometimes we might be writing about a topic that there has been a lot of other, you know, coverage around, but we want to explain some misconception in that. Um, I, I really enjoyed doing those kinds of stories because I think sometimes, yeah, all of the chatter about some certain topic is a little, confusing maybe if you're not a you know, subject matter expert in the, in that area. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think we do always want to find a balance. I mean, a climate tech is a pretty, pr- pretty broad beat. Um, and I end up writing about, you know, batteries a lot. I've written about carbon capture and hydrogen and all those different, all these different technologies. And I think finding a balance where we're not over-representing something as a potential solution to you know, mitigating climate change, we don't want to ever present it as if, you know, this one technology is going to be the thing that saves everybody. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so I definitely, I definitely agree that there's, you know, there's conversation in a lot of different directions. Um, and it's, it's complicated. And I think I, I put a lot of pressure on myself about it. But I think, you know, there's a whole host of, of climate journalists out there working to try and get you know the best information possible out to the public um and yeah and and i think that's right that sometimes sometimes what we write does help inform business decisions or policy decisions um and i think it's really valuable if if reporting can be additive in that way to the conversation um so yeah yeah i mean maybe a good transition point so electrification or i guess maybe broadly speaking decarbonization of on-road passenger car or, or like light duty vehicles essentially maybe let's talk about that topic because i think that's one maybe that could fall into this category of um, you know electric vehicles super exciting are they the solution are they part of the solution what what does that whole thing look like what, what how are you thinking about uh electrification and the role of or i guess maybe more broadly how, how are you thinking about decarbonization for that sector yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, electric vehicles were certainly one topic that I knew for sure was going to be a, a big part of, of my coverage. And when I started this job um, 
And I think digging into, you know, the the attention it's gotten has been interesting in the framing of, of this conversation and this story around electrification um, of, of passenger vehicles. I think, you know, when when I started digging into the the investment side of things and you're seeing how how large of a share you know, electric vehicles, batteries, transportation in general is getting of, of the funding dollars, um, even within all of the different technologies that would contribute towards decarbonization. It's, I think it's something that feels kind of familiar. It feels attainable, if that makes sense. Like, I think that the, the public can obviously say, well, if I switch out my gas powered car for an electric vehicle, like you can, it's a very tangible shift. And it's a, it's a purchase that I think consumers are going to make anyway, right? I think that's been a part of, of this conversation as well, is that you're seeing so much money go toward electric vehicles because you know that people are going to buy cars and going to need cars. And so there is clearly a uh, an ROI there that's not too far down the road um, yeah. for, for some companies. Um, so I do think that's a, that's a part of it. Um, and I think it's it's been a really interesting time to be covering it and see that we're really at this inflection point where growth is just skyrocketing um, in electric vehicle sales and how, how quickly that's projected to grow um, and how aggressively a lot of automakers are, are, you know, orienting their strategy around electrification. Um, but yeah, I think, I think one thing that I talk about with my editor a lot and um, is, is that, you know, ultimately when we talk about decarbonization, it's not just about switching out one for one, a fossil fuel powered vehicle with an electric vehicle. It's also about public transportation and walkability and bikeability and all of those pieces as well, which I think is is harder for me to cover sometimes because it doesn't neatly, you know, fit into the the technology uh framing sometimes. But yeah. um I think um that's I, I do worry sometimes that that's a part of the conversation that gets lost a little bit. Um, but I think the you know the excitement around electric vehicles is still uh, pretty pretty warranted. So yeah, it's it's such a such a complex topic because I mean I, I think it's hard to hard to debate that electric vehicles are certainly electrified and probably even bat, full battery electric vehicles have a huge role to play in de- decarbonization. Mm-hmm. The question of how far that goes, if it's the only solution, I, I personally tend to think that. There's other stuff out there that's worth continuing to pursue different mm-hmm. hybridized solutions and continuing to improve the internal combustion, mm-hmm. maybe hydrogen in certain in certain spots. But uh, I don't know the the hysteria around electric vehicle. I mean, I, I look even at podcast listens. Like if I have someone come to come on talk about electric vehicles and I pitch it the right way, there's so much interest here. Partly because I mean it's a pop culture phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk is crazy. Meme stocks right. and Twitter. Like if. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of kind of natural momentum mm-hmm. that points to like, yeah, the, the easy thing to get eyeballs and get listens is just make the claim of a electric future is coming here, which again, it's not it's not that that's super far from the truth. It's just, uh, yeah, yeah there, 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 it seems at least my perspective, that's a bit more nuance there, which is tough yeah. to cover. It definitely is. Yeah, it definitely is nuanced. And I think, again, like I think, you know, we have the technology that's available today, you know, and becoming, well, has been becoming, you know, less and less expensive over time as battery technology advances. So there is kind of that, that option to swap out, you know, to electrify and it's, it's here and it's doable. Um, And I think I I agree with you that some of the other, 
avenues to decarbonize transportation definitely have an important role to play too. And I think that's been interesting to cut through to kind of parse, parse that what, again, like the share of electrification versus, you know, other, other options. Um, Cause I think there is sometimes also a lot of hype around the hydrogen cells or something like that. And I think learning more about what kind of applications really make sense for these different technologies is another piece of, of yeah. my job that I really enjoy is really trying to understand. Um, yeah. When does it, when does it make sense to, you know, put our resources toward this solution versus something else um, that might be more efficient or, or, or even from an infrastructure perspective might be easier to execute. Um, so, cause I think that's another big piece of everything that I end up writing about is that the, the underlying story is that to make these changes, you have to have all of these, you know, physical infrastructure updates um, to support them. So I think the yeah. rollout of uh, the charging network, especially will be really interesting in the, in the coming years. Yeah, maybe let's talk there for, for a little bit. Is there, uh, I don't know, anything to even just this topic of electrified vehicle charging network is there's a lot of lot that goes into this, right? Uh, and if you're talking about again, if it's light duty passenger vehicles, and or if we're talking about heavy duty trucks that are being electrified or okay. whatever, and kind of where we're placing them, the mix of level two chargers and DC fast chargers or whatever. Uh, Anything particular stand out to you from some of the, the coverage that you've done in the grid and the uh, electrified infrastructure perspective? Yeah, I think, um, I guess one area that's been, that I've looked into kind of frequently has been around the the fleet electrification, because it does seem like um, there's such an opportunity there for for companies that have the resources to make that switch and it seems almost like that's kind of a good place for charging companies to be testing how how their products work as well because you're going to have and and how that complicated relationship between you know a customer and a charging company and an ev company and the electric utility all all Mm -hmm. works together um that you're going to have to you know sometimes update um the amount of power that's available at at sites where you're going to have a big fleet of electric vehicles. I think that's been interesting. Um, but I I think otherwise the the rollout of the charging network. Um, I mean, I think there's just so much there's so much discussion around range anxiety. I think probably like half of the EV pitches I get some days are, you know, the discussion in the polls of you know are Americans too worried about you know, the range on an electric vehicle to make the switch. Um, yeah. And so I, I do, I do hope that um, especially kind of the fast chargers along, you know, the highways would uh, that are, that are planned would, would ease some of those concerns. Um, but I think it is, it is also what I hear often, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation where, you know, a lot of areas where there, there isn't a, a strong trend toward EV adoption now there there's not a, a strong business proposition to be installing chargers there um and so you know if if you're not going to have people buying electric vehicles if there's no place to charge them and so it's it's kind of this um tricky point that we're at where um you know that you're trying to balance those kinds of decisions um but yeah yeah i i, I hope that the i think the rollout will be interesting and I, it sounds like um in terms of the, the money from the infrastructure bill that'll go towards EV charging, there are, you know, some states that have um, 
kind of created programs for that um, in the past. And it'll be interesting to see how each state kind of organizes um, you know, the distribution of those, those funds and prioritizes projects uh, locally. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the infrastructure build out is going to be fascinating in the, uh, I don't know, the, the range anxiety topic. I, I, I tend to agree. It's, it's an interesting one. Maybe gets more, more coverage than it should because it's just an easy thing to look at. The only, I think for most people, most of the time, it's it's not something to worry about. I guess one anecdotal piece of data I would, I would share is my uh, my one coworker is one of the rare people who have a long commute and it's like 150 miles when when he goes into the office. And uh, Jay's got a mess, a Model Three from from Tesla, which advertised 320 miles or whatever, and. He said there is not a no chance at all that he will make that drive in the winter without needing to charge. So oh, interesting, yeah. This, yeah. Despite the yeah, despite the track, the fact that it's uh, less than half of the advertised range, he said he he's never made it in one one charge in the winter. Which I don't know whether that says something about his specific vehicle or about the automaker there or about uh, the challenge of EVM or old tech or whatever. Who who knows? But uh, yeah. I say that though, and that's I think the the rare exception because I think it's it's very few people have 150 mile commute. I think uh, right, it happens to right. be crazy. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of what what yeah. part of what I was saying earlier too about it, you know the, how EVs fit in because yeah, for most trips that most people are going to make, you know, I don't, I don't know the stat off the top of my head, but it's it's 90 yeah. percent or something of the trips you're going to take are are not going to require the kind of range that people are stressed about. Um, so yeah, yeah, I have a plug-in hybrid with has like 25 to 30 miles of range and in my previous role that I covered most of my driving with yeah. the, the electric mode and it was, you know, per- perfect for me. And that's a far, far cry from 300 miles or whatever you can yeah. get with, <laughs> with an EV. Right. Um, how do you think about then infrastructure on the the hydrogen side? So I think, uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we start this conversation actually. Hydrogen in climate uh where where do you see roles for hydrogen or potential roles for hydrogen in decarbonization and uh climate tech yeah i mean i think in the in the conversations i've had with folks who are working in that space it seems like um you know certain long duration storage applications have a pretty strong um you know there's a pretty strong argument for for using it that way um and kind of, it seems like people are thinking about it in, in terms of uh, a way to kind of um, offset or replace, you know, natural gas eventually to, for really for seasonal mm-hmm. energy needs. Um, and I think, and then I think, you know, with with long haul trucking is like the next thing that I really hear about a lot that um, that would probably be a, or a transportation application that does make a lot of sense since, you know, the battery technology would just be so heavy on a, on a giant, giant truck like that. So, um, those are definitely things I think that get brought up most often. Um, and, but I mean, it's, it's, it is so complicated and there is so much nuance in all of these different solutions because, you know, you can conceptually talk about using hydrogen for, um, seasonal storage, but then in reality, you're going to have to figure out how to, how to store it, how to transport it. Um, and there is, you know, there is some, um, energy loss even in, 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 um, 
in turning, you know, renewable energy into, into hydrogen to, to be stored for a long time. So yeah, I think it, it is complicated to weigh all the pros and cons there and to see where, um, where it might make the most sense. Um, but yeah, typically it's been energy storage and, and really long haul transportation that seem like mm-hmm. the applications people are pretty focused on. And then on, on the infrastructure side. So I think, I know I, I tend to think that the hydrogen infrastructure questions even more complex than the electrification one. Cause there's, I don't know, you, you, t- you can talk to someone, there's 12 different colors of hydrogen that are yeah. <laughs> developed yes. and wh- whether we should be using the rainbow or uh, carbon intensity of hydrogen mm-hmm. kind of a here or there, but like the, the, there are so many ways to use hydrogen as an energy storage device. Uh, mm-hmm. And all of them though, you need to somehow generate hydrogen, you need to somehow mm-hmm. transport it and then you, you need to utilize it, whether it's in a fuel cell application in a hydrogen internal combustion engine or, or otherwise. But when we're talking about hydrogen infrastructure, are any there, are there any specific uh, topics that ha- have caught your attention in the, in the last few months? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess initially with hydrogen, I was definitely focused on what you just mentioned that there's this rainbow of, of different kinds of hydrogen people talk about. And I, and I wrote a piece kind of breaking that down for our readers because it is, it is, there isn't really a, a an agreed upon definition of what clean hydrogen is still because yeah. that can encompass green hydrogen and blue hydrogen, meaning that with blue hydrogen, it's still being made using natural gas or with green hydrogen, it's really, truly coming from renewable energy sources. Um, but I think, um, yeah, the, the infrastructure piece, and, and it's interesting because I think people, there are some people with it working in the space who might, who would point to, you know, we have all these natural gas pipelines and those could be repurposed to, to transport hydrogen instead and make the case that maybe there is some existing infrastructure that makes it, um, you know, a, a workable solution. Um, but I think there is still, still there are still details to work out with that i think that with with hydrogen such a smaller molecule that there are definitely some conversations happening around um you know the the potential for leaks and how those leaks would even be detected um and i think there's also been some some research i've seen recently just about whether whether we're kind of accurately assessing um you know the the impact of of hydrogen escaping into the atmosphere and the way that, that interacts mm. with the greenhouse gases and whether, um, you know, the, the mix of this concept of mixing hydrogen in with natural gas um, and kind of scaling the industry up that way, whether that really works for everything that you would use natural gas for. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of questions still. So it's been a really interesting time to talk to people about it, but yeah, and realizing that there's still, you know, not even an industry standard for quote unquote, clean hydrogen. Um, so there is definitely a lot to parse in that, in that industry as, as projects roll out um, and you kind yeah. of dig into what they actually mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy, the maturity of, of that, that industry and some of the, ter- I mean, it's, it's not like hydrogen is new as a energy source. Yeah. It's, right. we're, we're, it's new for fuel cell applications for mobility, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's been used and around for some time. It's, it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. on the maturity side. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How about um, so? How about carbon capture? I think this is an interesting topic that you dove into a little bit recently. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on? I don't know <laughs> the necessity of this, maybe, and then also yeah. how a di- different approach. I, I, so overall, this topic of carbon capture, anything that's uh, 
that you've been diving into specifically specifically recently? Uh, yeah, I would I would say that this was definitely one topic where I wanted to be, um, you know, very thoughtful in the way that we approached it and covered it and and what we were sharing with our readers because I think you know there is there is an ongoing discussion even within you know the climate tech industry about again like the role how how big of a role that should this have um, and how how many of our resources should go toward um, you know deploying it um, and I think. The first, the first thing I, I dove into on this topic was just trying to understand the difference. And I wrote kind of an explainer piece about what carbon capture is in, in like CCUS kind of point source capture at an industrial site or a power generation site versus the carbon dioxide removal technologies that a lot of um, startups are, are working on um, and are kind of in, you know, emerging stages of, of deploying um, with things like direct air capture. Um, and uh, nature-based, you know, carbon removal solutions. So understanding that a lot of the criticism you might find online initially, if you start Googling around about carbon capture is really focused more on um, some of the shortcomings of point source capture um, Mm. and the way that that has been sort of fraught in the past um, and understanding that that is, you know, a tool that really should only be relied upon in, in super hard to decarbonize industries that that's really, I don't know, I don't want to say last resort, but that, you know, this is, this is what we should be doing. If we absolutely can't stop emitting greenhouse gases, then we should try and capture as much of the carbon dioxide out of that and keep it from going into the atmosphere as we can. But, but I think the, the proposition from the CDR, the carbon dioxide removal technology is, is really about trying to remove, um, you know, kind of legacy emissions that are already out there in the atmosphere. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's it's been an interesting time to be covering it because, you know, you had the IPCC report earlier this year that, that really laid out, said explicitly for the first time that, you know, you were as a piece of this larger pie of, of decarbonization. Um, And so, yeah, it's been a really interesting time. And there's the U S is really putting a lot of, resources behind it. I mean, the, the direct air capture piece of things, there's $3.5 billion in the infrastructure bill to create hubs for direct air capture. Um, and I think that's been, <clears throat> that's been an interesting discussion around how to structure those um, so that you can really include all the different companies that are innovating in the space and give a lot of different solutions of uh, an opportunity to, to prove that they can be helpful, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, you know, early stages. And then there's, um, there are provisions in the, in the inflation reduction act as well, that will, that will help that industry. Um, there's a, the 45 Q tax credit, um, was increased for, for direct air capture, um, which will help should, should help, you know, that to be a more accessible financial support and, and help that industry as they work on scaling and bringing the cost of carbon removal down. So there's, it's, it's also a lot of nuance. There's a lot of different, um, different approaches um, and a lot of folks, you know, coming at it from, from different angles. Um, But yeah, yeah. yeah, It's been very interesting to dig into. Yeah. I I think that's, that's really interesting. And also the distinction you made between uh, carbon capture at at the the source and uh, carbon dioxide removal. I think that's, Certainly an important point. Um, 
I, I guess a kind of a left turn question as, as mm-hmm. we're talking about. So yeah, car, carbon ca- ca- capture, emotionally charged topic, electric vehicles, yeah. super emotionally charged. Right. Um, this, this overall topic of, of climate yeah. change is, uh, I don't know, it's almost borders on like religious type, uh, the, the, how deeply people feel, whether it's based in science or, or whatever about this stuff. Did you, do you intentionally want to cover such a, uh, emotionally charged to- topic or, uh, how, how do you think, or, or is it just that, yeah, just because we're in this space, it seems like that, but I don't know, every topic has their own kind of chaos on, on its size. And that's kind of the nature of the business. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think it's just an incredible, incredibly important topic. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'm signing up for it purposely because people have strong feelings. Um, but I just think it is, we are at a really critical time. And, and my thought about it was that if I can, you know, use the skills that I have and, and work in a role where I am able to, to chip away at some of these big questions, that that is a helpful thing to be doing. Cause I think, you know, we're, everybody does feel strongly, but we're really at a place where, you know, we, we have to make big decisions. We have to make big moves. We have to build out a lot of physical infrastructure. We have to make a lot of things um, and, you know, really put into action um, these technologies that people have been working on. Um, And so, I mean, it's, it's emotional for me too, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's very bizarre to write about this at, at the same time as you're seeing rivers dry up and you're seeing, you know, these horrible wildfires and you're inundated with the news of the ways that climate, climate change is already affecting so many communities around the world. Um, and so it's, it's interesting how much, how much hope there is as well, how, how optimistic a lot of people are within climate tech that, you know, that the, that the solutions people have been developing can get us, you know, to a future that, that is a better scenario than, you know, if we don't, deploy um those kind of technologies um but yeah it's very it's very emotional for sure and i think the other the other piece of that um that i always want to help readers understand is that even though we talk about you know clean energy and decarbonization you you're never going to be creating a technology that isn't extracting from the earth in some way so there is again this whole discussion around around mining um and and that is very emotionally charged as well because you can say we need to mine more lithium but then you have to go into somebody's community and and open a mine um so yeah it's it's definitely a lot of strong feelings and i think a lot of again kind of that balancing act between you know what what are the pros and cons of, of each of these things how do we do this responsibly um and and I think that is, you know, even more difficult when everyone has very strong personal opinions about the way all of this impacts uh, their daily lives. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe a somewhat follow on, and this is uh, it's a somewhat personal interest que- interested question, but one, one of the things that I, so, I mean, this is a, a hobby podcast that I do on, on, the, mm-hmm. on the side, right? And, but uh, one, one of the things that I struggle with from time to time is, you know, Am I just, am I actually providing value? Cause there's so many people already covering this topic and there's so many, mm-hmm. I don't know, m- many of the people that I'm talking to are also doing stuff in other places. And yeah. uh, I, I, I sometimes, so that's something that I struggle with from time to time. I, I, mm-hmm. I tend to, to come back and think, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm able to sometimes provide a unique uh, conversation or perspective given kind of the, the line of work and my, my personal interests and stuff like that. And that's how I 
convince myself to uh, <laughs> to continue going to some extent. Yeah. But um, is that something that you struggle with at all, given that how oh, many yeah. people are covering this? And, and if so, how, how do you actually think about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think kind of what we talked about earlier, like there is this weird dissonance in my brain. And I, you know, I, I can only speak for myself, but I do think a lot of of people working in journalism who really care deeply about, you know, the the principles of of the kind of work we all want to be doing. Um, there is this this tension between feeling this immense responsibility, like this is such an important topic. I don't want to put out any information that is going to mislead people or that is going to frame the conversation in a way that's not fair or not productive um, and or feeling like there's so many different things and I can't cover all of the different things in depth that I'm really interested in and that really seem pressing. Um, but I think at the same time, I have to remind myself there are a ton of other people that are working on this. Like one story I write is not going to be the only story about a particular topic. Um, there are plenty of other places that people can get you know, information from and there are a lot of other people doing really good work in this space um but i think and i don't want to get too deep into the media ecosystem conversation because that <laughs> that could take all day um but i think you know the the fact that there are just so many media is so fragmented and and people are getting information from so many different sources i think um i i think in in the case of a podcast like this you know it's if if you care about this and if you have listeners who care about this. Um, I don't think extra conversations ever hurt, um, and, you know, putting more information out there, um, even if it's just a small bit of something that that people didn't know before um, is, you know, I always, I always just think more more information, more understanding is is always helpful. So I think, yeah, it's 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 uh, a weird problem and a, and a strange, yeah. strange way to feel about the work you're doing. But, um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately it's better to have, you know, more voices, um, and more, more people asking questions, uh, in the space. Yeah. And I guess as, as you're talking about the, the fragmented media made, made me think, so yes, there are a ton of people who are writing topic, but it's, at the same time, it's, it's, it's really only morning brew and emerging tech brew that I consistently read. So like the only, yeah. the only things that I actually subscribe to and re read every time they come out. So like, yeah, despite the fact there's probably 50 people writing about a topic that you're covering, like, a, yeah, I guess your, your angle is probably the only one that I'm catching on a, on a certain day. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. So okay, well, no pressure think about it. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you find it useful and that it's a good resource. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, for, for the reasons I mean, I mean, I, I really don't want to spend an hour reading the news every day. It's it's yeah. five minutes is what I want to spend and getting the the perspective that I actually care about mm -hmm. in that time is a uh, is important. And, yeah, of course, I, I skim certain articles at <laughs> at times, or but, yeah. But uh, okay, so back to the uh, we we talked about decarbonization. We talked about electrification, hydrogen, mm -hmm. um, anything. Else? I know you've written about decarbonization of other sectors, aviation, maybe somebody that you then off road type stuff. Yeah. Um, we are we touched on supply chain a little bit. Anything else in those different fields that's uh, particularly exciting or interesting for you that you want to talk about a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that, you know, everyone's been hearing about supply chain issues more and more, I think, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, but truly when I talk to people in, in the electric vehicle industry, especially that is, that is, you know, I, I love to always ask people, what is, what do you see as, you know, the biggest challenges to, um, scaling up a technology or to, you know, wider access to something. And, um, 
it, it really is routinely uh, a supply chain, just just shortages of, I mean, so many stories I've written lately are just like, there's a shortage of copper, there's a shortage of lithium, there's a shortage of, you know, um, all these different critical materials um, for for electric vehicles, for, for clean technology in general. Um, it's just, I think at, at the highest level, it's this, it's this whole system change, right? Where we're moving toward um, an energy system that's based more on, on mining and minerals and metals than on extracting, you know, oil and gas. Um, and it's, it's going to be a learning curve, I think, you know, for, for the automakers, certainly we've seen that. I mean, there's certain companies that are really getting involved further up in their supply chains and, and paying more attention to, um, the relationships and the, the sourcing of, of their raw materials. Um, but it's, it's complicated. And I think, you know, we have this push now and these, and these new, um, you know, incentives and also requirements in the um, Inflation Reduction Act that could help spur development um, all the way from mining through cathode and anode production through like battery assembly plants. Um, but it's probably not, almost definitely not going to happen as quickly as, um, you know, some of the policymakers have tried to lay out. So it's going to be a little bit messy for a while. I think that that's interesting too, because it's, it's like, everyone's telling me that there are, there are challenges, there are bottlenecks, but the long-term view is still very optimistic. They're, they're kind of talking about this, you know, through 2030. It's a, a future. We don't really know. <laughs> yeah, we're not sure exactly how this is going to go. Um, and, but that, you know, we are in this period of kind of increasing efficiency and working out the kinks and all this stuff and, and setting, setting the industry up to, to just, you know, take off and, and continue in a sustainable way through um, the, the coming decades. So that's been interesting. And, and I think the other, the other big piece of that, um, that, that I haven't gotten to cover as much as I, as I would like to in the future, but I think other people are certainly writing about is, is just the, the labor piece of this too, the workforce piece of it, that there's all of these industries that are going to need people to work on manufacturing batteries are going to need people to, you know, work on installing EV chargers that are going to need people to work on all these different kinds of jobs. Um, and you know, that's the, the jobs are always a, a big piece of the discussion around energy transition. But I think we are starting to hit a point where I'm asking people who is training people, are there training programs? How, what, what is the plan, um, for really building out a workforce and making sure that people have opportunities to jump into some of these new careers and new, you know, growing industries. Um, and hopefully that, that will be an opportunity and not you know, a shortage of, of workers that hampers growth. So, yeah. Yeah. This implementation phase is going to be, it's, it's going to have its own challenges that are going to be different. It's going to be re really interesting. I mean, from again, just, just one personal story, but I, a few months ago made the change from a engineering services company to, a, mm -hmm. I'm still working on electrified and automated vehicles, but we're focused on manufacturing of those vehicles. Yeah. And, uh, cause personally, I feel like that, whether it's manufacturing, you mentioned in, in mm -hmm. infrastructure build, like these are some of the problems that we are I don't know, understaffed, underskilled to uh, to take on in the coming years. And that's that's a big uh, mountain ahead of us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. So maybe uh, one one question I like to ask most of my guests uh, kind of out of, out of left field, but uh, mm -hmm. 
so always interested what, what I can learn from people about where, where they're learning from and, and such. So um, be curious your thought, uh, whether it's a book, books, or any other resource that you've, I don't know, you rely on or you've read through the year, listened to through the years that uh, has had a big impact on you. Anything, anything come to mind there? Yeah, I think, you know, like we talked about, this is um, an emotionally charged topic to be to be uh, submerged in all the time. And I think it's often kind of depressing to, you know, stay up to date on, yeah. on climate news uh, on a regular basis. And so I think I've been looking for, um, you know, writing that that makes me feel more hopeful. That makes me, you know, you know, <laughs> increase my sense of, of wonder about the world and, and, um, hopefully infuse a little optimism that um, this is all going to turn out okay. But yeah, so I, I read um, with actually a group of, of women who all work in um, sustainability, um, All We Can Save, which is a collection of, of essays and poems um, from people who are women who are working in, in climate activism and, and policy mm -hmm. and technology. Um, and I think there are just so many different perspectives in that book. Um, and it's just a really lovely collection of, of people who are, you know, pointing to big problems um, but also celebrating progress that's been made um, and just kind of musing on on how incredible the world is that we're all hoping to save. So, yeah, I think that one was good. And um, yeah, and I, 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 you know, grew up in in northeast Georgia in the mountains and in the woods and nature is very important to me. Um, and I like to get outside a lot, but I think I've been reading um, Braiding Sweetgrass as well, which is really looking at nature from both kind of a, a scientific lens as well as um, with some, you know, indigenous learning as well and, and just appreciating kind of all the different dimensions of the life all around us, which I think uh, unfortunately humans feel separate from a lot of the time. So yeah, yeah, that's a little sappy, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where, <laughs> what I like to dive into when I'm, when I'm not plugged into uh, the news. Yeah, very, very cool. I think that's a, that's an interesting perspective. And uh, yeah, I can definitely re relate to the uh, the desire to you know, have some different thoughts in the mind. And uh, to, I don't know, I think being well-rounded just overall is, is good, particularly at uh, such a heavy time in mm -hmm. the day-to-day -day work. Uh, so this, Grace has been a lot, a lot of fun. Really appreciate you. You joined, I think, uh, uh, interesting to get your perspective on how, how you're approaching some of these things, some of the, the main topics and themes you you see in the industry and such. Um, I guess cl closing questions. Anything, anything we missed here that uh, you were hoping to talk about, or if if not anything, you're hoping someone listening um, takes away from the conversation. And and also, I guess feel free. I know you guys have your emerging tech brew event coming up uh, here here soon. If you wanna you wanna pitch that, and I can put a link in the the show notes and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we've covered. It's been a pretty comprehensive conversation around the topics that I've been looking into recently. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, other, otherwise, um, you know, yeah, you can find more in the emerging tech newsletter, which, which emerging tech for newsletter, which comes out three times a week. Um, and we are having um, an event on September 29th that will be, that's free and virtual. And we're going to have some really interesting conversations with, you know, leaders from the Department of Energy, with um, some folks from um, mobility companies, um, as well as a mix of other emerging tech fields. Um, but yeah, I just, I just hope that um, people would 
I guess, uh, read with both a critical eye and an open mind about all these different topics. I think um, there's there's a lot of stuff happening and there's a lot of, of nuance that obviously is is hard to distill into a newsletter <laughs> or, or any one yeah. article. Um, but I think it is encouraging to see that so many people are focused on working on solutions to these problems and that there is um, just really a, a wave. I think the other thing in terms of the workforce that I hear about is that there is just a wave of people who are leaving jobs to get involved in, in climate tech and get involved in, um, in these solutions and trying to contribute there. And I think that's, that's pretty exciting as well. Cool. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's a, that's a good place to leave it. Well, Grace, yeah. thanks again. Re- really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, best, best of luck to you. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Grace Donnelly. So two, uh, two, two main things that stand out to me. So one, the, on the technical side, I think the topics, we talked about the things that are she's focusing on, really interesting. So yes, the supply chain challenges for electrified vehicles, um, carbon capture, and the, the complexity around that and the different uh, approaches there. Infrastructure for charging infrastructure for hydrogen, a few others, uh, the, the importance of scalability and the things that she's having covering these, these type of things. I think, uh, yeah, interesting topics. I enjoyed getting Grace's uh, opinion and thought here and kind of what she's hearing from the industry and, and such. Um, then the other, the other thing that really stands out to me is kind of from a more I don't know, meta perspective is the, I don't know, the, the, the apparent approach and the focus on seemingly being um, objective coming into something right and being open having open eyes coming into something and we talked a couple times here and kind of things that she initially focused on going into a new area and how that evolved over time and how as she learned and asked questions and dug deeper and pulled on threads um, are getting into the deeper issues and changing her opinion along the way and I think super exciting to hear super super interesting because i think that that seems like such a powerful and important approach to have in this line of work or for any of us honestly who are trying to really make an impact and are trying to understand okay what are the things that we actually can do to improve the the situation around us right so it's, it's going in yeah often with a, a thesis of some sort going in or a theory of some sort going in and trying to validate that right trying to to learn or you're actually often trying to actively seek information that goes contrary to our, our pre-existing belief and forming an opinion based on that rather than just going and catching kind of the the easiest thing to grab or the first thing that comes to mind or the easiest thing that the public's talking about and things like that so really enjoyed and that's a kind of underlying theme i think through most or if not all of we talked about that really enjoyed hearing that um getting grace's thoughts on how she approaches it and I, I certainly, you know, learned and I'm thinking about how I can be better in that myself. Hopefully you're listening here. This is such an important topic. Hopefully if you're listening to this year, you also think about that and how, how we can collectively better do a better job of uh, really approaching this stuff as journalists. And whether we're in the field just as a consumer or even as someone who is developing technology, uh, how we can be objective and decide what's best and go and, and try to make the impact that uh we ultimately want to make so thanks again for listening a lot of fun here um yeah as always more to come next week thank you for listening to the future of mobility podcast brought to you by edison manufacturing and engineering if you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products 
then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.